Let's pray. Heavenly Father, through your spirit, we are given an inner strength and an understanding of the love of Christ. We look to you and the truth of your word, and we ask that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit. Teach us to keep our eyes on you and the fullness of who you are. Lead us to rest in the abundance of your blessings and to trust in your grace poured out for us. Remind us that we are made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from you. We pray for our high school students and their leaders at Camp Getaway this weekend. We praise you for this church as we celebrate 30 years of ministry. And uh, we pray that, um, and as we do that, we, we give you praise for your faithfulness to this community of people who are following you together. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So uh, we've, we've spent uh, the last couple of weeks, we're in a series right now called Finding Contentment in a Discontented World. And uh, we've spent the last couple of weeks looking at why it's important for us to be content. And uh, this weekend, we're going to turn the corner and, and ask the question, how? How do we be content? And is it something that we can learn? And, and is, how can contentment be learned? And uh, is contentment an issue of having enough? Is it a spiritual thing? Is it a physical thing? Is it an emotional thing? I, I would submit that I think it's all of those things. And uh, this thing of con- contentment, and, and the journey to discover it is a, is a deep one, and it, it takes us into some of the deeper parts of, of how we're wired and uh, in the deeper parts of how we interact with the, with the world around us. In 1998, I, took a, I was a senior in high school, and I took a missions trip, went on a missions trip with our church to Mexico, and uh, our mission was to, to put concrete roofs on houses. And so it looked like this, and uh, there we put these concrete rails across the top, and um, you know, there's some high school boys without shirts on, because apparently that's what you do when you're in high school, and you go to Mexico on a mission trip and take your shirt off. Um, but uh, we would put these bricks on the roof, and then we would mix up the concrete and spread it across the roof, and, uh, and then people would have roofs over their houses. And it was the first time that I had been to Mexico, and to be honest, as a high school student on spring break, I was just as excited about the sun, probably more excited about the sun and scenery as I was about the actual reason that we were there. A lot changed for me that week. I witnessed poverty like I had never seen it before and and built relationships with strangers who became friends and brothers and sisters. At the end of the week, uh, there were no longer strangers in poverty. There were brothers and sisters for whom my heart ached. And despite all of that, we were still unprepared for what happened when we went to dedicate uh, the home to this family. The leader of our trip offered a housewarming gift, and we prayed uh, out loud together. And we raised our hands, and we blessed the house and, and celebrated that they now had a roof uh, over their heads. And as we said amen, there was this unplanned moment of silence, and, and then the, the mother of the, of the family stepped forward and began to, to speak. And she spoke in English, and she told us that, and she, she thanked us for our help, and she was grateful uh, for how God had brought us to, to put this roof on her house. And she stopped for a moment and looked down at the ground and looked up, and, and she continued by saying that she prays for us in the United States because she feels troubled and feels bad that, um, and concerned that in the United States, we, we come from a country where we have so much. There's so much that can get in the way of our relationship and dependence on God. And we all just looked up in shock. And I'll never forget the look on our leader's face, and none of us will ever forget um, the feeling that we had <clears throat> inside of us. Their gratitude couldn't have been greater for the gift that they'd received, and her gratitude seemed to be based on something bigger. 
that something offered her a sense of contentment that she knew few of us had ever known, and she was very concerned that few of us would ever know it. If we stop to think about this for a minute, which we don't really like to do in the midst of our busyness, that's sometimes why we stay so busy, we can think about the areas of our lives where we are discontent. Uh, perhaps most of life seems eclipsed by discontentment in certain seasons. And if we stop long enough, we should become concerned about whether we're really content in the most important way for us to be content. Was this family simply content because material contentment had ever been an option for them? Maybe. Are we discontent because of all the ways that we can find contentment for ourselves? Perhaps. I would submit that contentment has much less to do with our physical surroundings and more to do with the condition and the orientation of our hearts. During this series, we've, we've parked in this fourth chapter of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And we're also going to spend some time in the book of James this week looking at a particular passage that speaks to the condition of our hearts and lives. And so um, you can turn your Bibles to, the, to Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. And we're on page 1,181 if you're using one of the Bibles in the seat in front of you. If you have a device with you that you're using, um, we're in the NIV uh, translation, so you can follow along with that. <clears throat> so one of the things that's interesting about this letter to the church at Philippi is that Paul is writing it while he's in prison. Pastor Henry, our lead pastor, has explained that the last couple of weeks, that, that we see what Paul is writing, but so much of what he's writing is powerful because of where he's writing it from and the condition and the season in life that he is in, that in which he's writing it. And so we pick up in, in, um, in verse 10 of chapter 4, 10 through 13, and it says, I rejoice great, greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in, I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul's life can be an inspiring one for us, and if I'm honest, it's a little bit frustrating at times because I oftentimes long for the type of resolve that Paul has. I am not as mentally and emotionally or spiritually tough as the Paul that we read about in, in, our, in our Bibles. And it's not just what Paul says about himself, it's what happens to him that proves that that's the type of person that he is. Because they throw him in prison and it doesn't matter to him. He just keeps doing what he's going to do. They beat him up and he goes on to the next town and gets beat up again, all for the same reason. His resolve is so strong in, for, in the purpose that he's been sent. And it's in, in the, the inspiring part of Paul is, it, is his, the trajectory of his life. At one time, Paul was someone who persecuted Christians and even partook in killing them. And Paul has this moment where he comes and he, he, meets, he meets the Lord who created him. And it changes his whole life. And so we're inspired by Paul and we see some of that inspiration here. He's in prison and yet it doesn't seem to bother him in the least. He, he's grateful he, he's grateful for what he has, and he has, he's pointing us to something underneath. He says, I've learned 
the secret to being content. And the, the hint and the clue in there is that he's learned. It's not that he was given it. He didn't find it somewhere. He learned. I have learned the secret <clears throat> to being content. Paul is aware of something bigger. Uh, and, it, the, the, and his past has given him this immense gratitude um, that he has. And he has this deep sense of joy that comes from this inner gratitude that he has because he's thinking of something much different than just his physical circumstances. So the first way that we learn to be content is through awareness and gratitude. And we can be grateful, and we'll go on and talk about a different type of gratitude, but we can be grateful that here at Five Oaks, we don't practice awareness in this way. Today's reading comes from the book of Proverbs. If I may digress for a moment from my prepared message, I mean it when I say to you, you guys, sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks. You're supposed to be good. I'm in my office every day and somebody comes in and they're like, hey, whoops. I'm like, don't! Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it! The word of the Lord. So we don't, uh, we, don't part, we don't practice awareness in that way. So you don't need to be nervous. But man, I love the part when he says, I took a vow. But he is the word. He just says it anyway. It's just great. Um, all right. So awareness and gratitude. Well, what, what's up with awareness and gratitude? Well, the awareness piece is that it's an awareness of our ultimate need. That where contentment begins with awareness and gratitude is that we become aware of our ultimate need. Our ultimate need means that left to our own devices, our lives are not on a trajectory that lands us living eternally with the God who created us. Our lives are on a trajectory that, that lands us separated from God for eternity. And that is our ultimate need, to have that relationship repaired and reconciled. And, and, and God took care of that for us. And so we become aware, aware of our ultimate need. And our gratitude comes from the fact that we, we, we didn't have anything to do with that. God took that upon himself to save us and to reconcile us to himself long before we even knew that that was necessary. And so our role in this is that we recognize what God has done. We become aware of our need and we step into a relationship with him and we get to live our lives empowered by the Holy Spirit in a way that sends our lives on a trajectory, not only for eternity, but that, that helps us to live a life now that brings God's kingdom to earth. So it starts, our contentment starts with awareness and gratitude. 
Gratitude for God's grace and his mercy is another way that we can think about that. Those are the two things at play, grace and mercy. And these two things, you know, this, this, this type of awareness and gratitude leads to harmony between what we believe and how we live. Harmony between what we believe and how we live. And we're going to park here uh, for a second. Our physical circumstances often speak louder than our spiritual circumstances. That's just the way it is. Uh, often it feels like this is the more pressing issue. And walking through our circumstances in the light of what God has already done for us helps us to focus on this bigger picture. And now, let me be clear. Contentment is not the absence of trial. Contentment comes from a deeper sense of awareness and gratitude that provides a peace that surpasses our understanding. And that's what we see in Paul's life, uh, not only in this letter, but in, in all of his writings. It doesn't mean that hard things aren't hard or even devastating. It just means that when our hearts are oriented properly, those things don't have the last word on our contentment. And as we jump over to James here, I'll have it on the screen uh, for you, but in James 1, uh, James says this, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may mature, may be mature and complete not lacking anything. So that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. In the ESV translation, it translates this passage a little bit more literally, and it uses the word perfect. That you may be perfect. Now, in our Western sense of perfect, we think of perfect meaning uh, perfect like flawless. But in, in, in a Hebrew sense, to be perfect is to be in harmony with ourselves. I think that's on the next slide. To be, to be perfect is to be in harmony with ourselves. Harmony with ourselves is harmony between what we believe inwardly and how we live outwardly. This is this sense of perfect that James is, is calling us to. And I think it's the same um, sentiment of what, what Paul is writing to here, that there's got to be something else going on that's equipping us to have this level of, of contentment, to have this harmony in between our, our physical circumstances and, and our inward lives. And we can practice this by orienting our hearts to the truth that James puts forth and that our circumstances are doing something in us and around us that goes far beyond what's happening in this moment. And it goes far beyond how things look and how it feels on the outside. This is hard to do, and it's especially uh, hard to do within the culture that we find ourselves in. Now, if we go back for a few moments, uh, our first series this fall was on the book of Esther. And we talked about and looked at how the book of Esther is this telling of, of some of the things that happened to God's people while they were in exile. And we made the connection between God's people then and God's people now, and that we are exiled in a similar way, that the culture around us does not live in accordance to the way that God has called for us to live. And so it's hard for us, and, and it's difficult for us to live according to how God's calling us to live because it's not the same direction that the culture around us is swimming. And this is precisely what it feels like to live in exile, to feel the pressure of assimilation and at times a growing distance from God because of that. And so oftentimes our physical circumstances speak louder than our spiritual circumstances, and when that happens, we're, we tend to, to try to deal with that in the way that the culture around us is dealing with it. 
with physical things, and we'll get to that um, in a few minutes here, but um, our, our physical circumstances, not just our hearts, can sometimes be the thing that distances us from God. And it's not uh, because of God, but because it causes us to look at ourselves as the answer rather than at God. And so let me just say that again. We look at ourselves instead of looking to God as an answer because for the most part, that's what the world and the culture around us does. Henry mentioned the deception of Adam and Eve last weekend, and that, this is that deception. The deception that, that we begin to believe that God's not going to do it, and so we have to do it on our own. Or that God is holding out on us, and so in order to get what he's already promised us, we have to take matters into our own hands. And the reality is, and the thing that we have to remember, is that God is doing something. It just may not be the thing that we want him to do or the thing that we think he should do and the timing that we think he should do it in. Our passions are at war. We're frustrated at times because we don't have what we want or what we think we need. We're selfish because we want this to be about our passions. And there's, in this sense, this collision between our spiritual life and our human nature. This is some of the wrestling that's happening when we're, when we're wrestling with this idea of contentment. That contentment is not just about, you know, having everything that we want. Contentment is, is having trust and hope and something that's a part of a much bigger picture than that. We could all sit here and say, I think I'd be content with a million dollars. Well, that's not really contentment. That's not what we're getting at. Gratitude, then, looks like this. God, I'm grateful that you are God and that I am not. Give me peace, trust, and faith in you and in what you're doing, even though it's not the thing I want you to do. Thank you that my ultimate need is met in you, and I pray that you would give me eyes to see how you will help me meet my physical needs as well, or you help meet my physical needs as well. That's an example of a prayer that we could pray that this is, it comes from a sense of gratitude, a sense of reorienting our hearts to, to how God is operating um, in our lives. In one sense, at times, this can feel like separating the physical from the spiritual, that we have to just deny the, the hard things that are happening, and that's exactly not what's happening here. We're bringing all of that in to what we're, to what we're saying to God and how we're bringing our, our requests before God. In many ways, this is the renewing of our minds. Uh, Romans 12:2 reminds us of how we renew our minds, and that it's so important that we not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but that we renew our minds. Excuse me for a second. Here we go. Contentment isn't something that we learn once. It's not a static moment or a milestone that we reach. It's something that needs constant reimagining. One of the ways that we do this and that we, that we deal with this discontentment that we have is through spiritual disciplines. Now, spiritual disciplines, uh, oftentimes those two words sound like eating vegetables that we don't like. And we think of, you know, choking down that lima bean or some whatever it is that you don't necessarily care for uh, because of the texture is just not right and it kind of gives you one of those shivers as you swallow it down. But spiritual disciplines are, are not like that vegetable that you don't want to eat. Spiritual disciplines are, are, yes, good for us just like healthy foods, but they are not things that give us shivers as they go down the, our throats or as they work their way into our lives. There are things that bring God to life 
in our lives. They are routines that help us to experience an invisible God in very real and visible and tangible ways. Spiritual disciplines are routines that help us to experience an invisible God in a visible and tangible way. And there are lots of spiritual disciplines that we could list, but the three that we're going to highlight three of them here this afternoon. And the first is Bible reading. And, uh, the, and Eric Raymond, in, uh, in his book, Chasing Contentment, says this, and if you haven't bought this book, uh, you need to. Uh, we have a primary source other than the scripture itself, obviously, in each of our series. And this is the one that we're using this time, Chasing Contentment, Trusting God in a Discontented Age, and it will change your life. It has, it has changed mine, and it's because of, because of quotes like this. Like a sacred power washer, it, meaning Bible reading, blasts away the mold and mildew of sin that accumulates through our ordinary day-to-day life. The word cleanses us as it makes us holy. And Bible reading is important for lots of reasons, and it, it seems like a cliche thing to say, like, uh, make sure you buckle your safety belt before you go for a drive. And, and well, that might be cliche, but it's because it's true. I don't drive anywhere without my seatbelt on. It's the first thing that I do when I get in the car. But if we're honest, as much as we would, we would agree with the, with the idea that Bible reading is important, it doesn't always work its way into the rhythm of our life in a way that would suggest that it's as important to us as we want to say it is. This is that harmony thing again. Our outward life and our inward life being in harmony. We get to know God in his heart as we read the scriptures. We learn truths about him and what his heart is like. We're reminded of how he's interacted with his people in the past and that there were seasons in which God didn't speak to his people for hundreds of years. And yet people stayed faithful to him. And so when we're in a season where we feel like God is quiet and silent and maybe not even there, we read a story like that and we're reminded of the fact that like, just because it doesn't seem like it doesn't mean he's not there. He's there. Prayer is, is, is the second spiritual discipline that we'll highlight this afternoon. Prayer is our conversation with God. And similar to Bible reading, it might seem like a cliche, Christian-y answer, uh, but, but we mention it because it is the means by which we interact with the God who created us. And the two things we want to say about prayer is that we need to schedule a time to pray. As we work through different rhythms of our, of our lives, I'm in a season right now where I'm, despite this cold, trying to pay a little bit more attention to my health, and there are certain rhythms that I have established, certain things that I do every day, certain things that I eat that I don't miss. And I'm aware enough to say that oftentimes that regimen right now is more regular than my regimen of prayer. It doesn't mean that I don't throw up a couple prayers during the day. But I need to sit down, we need, you need to sit down for time and interact with God. Not just long enough to ask and pray about your day, that's important too, but long enough to actually spend time in a conversation with God. And during these times of prayer, we can bring a heartfelt sense of reverence need, trust, and hope. And if you need help uh, with your prayers, well, you're in good company. We all do. The book of Psalms is a beautiful book of prayers. And in it, you, the, the writers of the Psalms, there's these, there's just, they're, at times they're just manic. But it also, it helps us to recognize this is how I feel sometimes. That I'm upset with God about something that's happening in my life and it doesn't feel like it's fair and he's not being who he said he would be. But then by the end of my complaining, I get to a part of recognizing, but God, you are God. 
and I know that you love me, and I know that you'll save me, and I know that you will, you will have your way in the end. Help me to have that level of trust. So the Psalms are a great book uh, for us to, to use in our, in our prayer time. Meditation is the third, uh, is the third spiritual discipline. And the, this is the intentional, this is how Eric Raymond says in his book, this is the intentional chewing, tasting, and ruminating on God's word. Ruminating on God's word. I'm going to let you ruminate on that while I take a drink of tea. <clears throat> Eric, in his book, gives this great analogy um, about mouthwash and Bible reading. And it's a little disgusting, but it's very true. He says, we can't read our Bibles like, like we rinse our mouths. The swish and spit method does not work when it comes to working God's word into our lives. And I just love that. It's disgusting to think about it, but it's, it's true. That when we think about taking something in and ruminating on it, which means just to, just to chew on it and think about it, we live a fast-paced life that doesn't always allow a lot of bandwidth for something like that. And so the, encourage and the, the encouragement and the challenge here in mentioning this is that we take time to think about where are these spiritual disciplines going to work their way into our lives. When we think about even a silly analogy like mouthwash, it's like, yeah, that is about how long I meditate on what I read. And I can recognize that it's not really going to do its thing unless I spend time thinking about it. I tuck it in a pocket as I go about my day at work, and I, I pull it out throughout the day, and I, I return to the thing that I'm thinking about today. I tape it to a mirror in our, in our home, or, or I spend some time throughout a week um, looking at a, a passage of Scripture that I'm just going to continue to just reflect on and think about. And some of you may be sitting there saying, well, yeah, we know this stuff already. This is all basic stuff. Well, most of the essentials in life, whether that be food, drink, water, nourishment, exercise, all of that is basic stuff. Most of, most of the things in life that can derail us are not things that come down to a level of intelligence. It comes down to behavior. It comes down to, and not the type of behavior that we're earning something from God, but it comes down to how we practice it in our everyday lives. And if we don't practice it, it doesn't become a part of our life. It's just this one thing that we kind of look at um, from time to time. This week, one of our kids had a basketball practice at Cottage Grove Elementary, and as I was wandering the halls as a restless waiting parent, um, I, I noticed that this one hallway must be where all the orchestra students walk. Because they had all these signs about practicing. And as I, I had this sermon in, you know, in the, in the oven, and so I was kind of, I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is a great, this is a great analogy. So this, this is the first graph that I saw. And it says, after your lesson or your rehearsal, you know 100% of what you learned. By day two, you lose 50 to 80% of what you've learned if you don't practice it. By day seven, you lose 90 to 97% of what you've learned if you don't practice it. And then it has this encouragement to change the shape of the curve. By day two, if you practice for at least 10 to 20 minutes, you raise the curve almost to 100% again. By day seven, this is the best part, if you continue practicing, it only takes you five minutes to, to reactivate and raise the curve to 100% when you report to your lesson. 
when we practice things in our life, it, it helps us to retain uh, the things that we're learning, and it helps us to work us into our lives. This is the next one that I saw. Practice only on days that you eat. So you only need to read your Bible and pray and meditate on the days that you eat. All right, the next one, this is, this is great. It's not hard. You just think it's hard because it's new. Practice makes it not new. A lot of these rhythms in our lives are new. And there are certain seasons when, um, when we're not quite there yet, which is the power of the word yet. This is the next one. <clears throat> yet, a small but imperative word that will turn failure into success. So when you find yourself saying, I just am, I'm not good at reading my Bible. You're not good at reading your Bible yet. I'm not good at meditating on God's word throughout the day. You're not good at meditating on God's word yet. But with practice and with rhythm and working it into our lives, uh, we, we, they become things that, that are regular and, and we're blessed by those things. Eric Raymond points this out that we often don't, um, we don't often look inward to master ourselves, but we look outward to satisfy ourselves. And if we can only get more and enjoy more, then we'll be happy. I'll say that again. We don't often look inward to master ourselves, but instead we look outward to satisfy ourselves. If we can only get more and enjoy more, we'll be happy. This brings us to number three. We learn to be content when we learn to see through the shiny wrappers. When we learn to see through the shiny wrappers. Discontentment comes from believing false promises. And a false promise is, a, is something that promises us life from a source that is not designed to give life. It promises us life from a source that's not designed to give us life. And for the most part, we are lured into believing these false promises in three ways. And the first way is through the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are the cravings of our fallen human nature that, they, that seek to live themselves out independently of God. And so essentially, it's a craving of self-fulfillment that's not centered on God. It's something in our life that we want that's not centered on God. And in this, we are restlessly off-center. We are restlessly off-center. And what I mean by that is that we are, we are restless in our discontent because we don't like how it feels. Not, discontent is not good for anybody. None of us like to be discontent. And so we start to search around and look for ways to, to solve that problem. We turn to things that were not designed to give us the thing that God designed us to have. And we're restless because of that. The second one is the desires of the eyes. Uh, our eyes are the mechanism by which we see and become fixated on the created things. So the flesh, the fleshly desires are the things that we desire to, to kind of find life. The eyes are the mechanism by which we see it. And so it, it's determined by not only what we look at, but how we look at it. And we look at it as though it's going to give us the thing that we want. Or we tell ourselves that if, if I just have that thing, then, I, then my life will look the way it's supposed to look. And then everything will, be, everything will be good. And the third is the pride of possessions. 
the first two are desires for things. This third one is a is a, a pride in something that we already have. And I have a little shot from the Lord of the Rings here. The ring, the precious ring, that anybody that holds this ring is changed by it. And their, their heart just turns selfish and cold, and, and, and it's, not, it's not good. So this pride of possessions is a pride in who we think we are based on what we possess or on what we have accomplished. <clears throat> Dave Ramsey says it this way. Content people may not have the best of everything, but they make the best of everything. And then Eric says again, learning contentment is learning to see through the shiny wrappers and assess the temptations with discernment. A few weeks ago, I was at a conference and heard a speaker by the name of James K.A. Smith, and uh, he gave a message about ambition. Uh, James is a philosophy professor at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he asked us to reflect on a couple of questions. And uh, he said, uh, here's a question. What do I long for when I want to achieve? What are you aiming for? We're all aiming for something. Is your life aiming at the thing that you think you're aiming at? Contentment is not a lack of drive or ambition. But if our ambition is disordered, it becomes idolatry. Idolatry is disordered love and devotion. And, uh, and James Smith says this, disordered love and devotion is like falling in love with the boat rather than the destination. God made us good, but we all chose our own way and, and because of how we're captivated by a lie. And it's the same lie that deceived Adam and Eve, that God was holding out on them, that they needed to take things back into their own hands. But we see something in these verses from Paul that changes that in us, that we can learn to be content. And it's, it's a, in fact, one of the spiritual disciplines that, that we can add is that it's, a, it's learning contentment. It's how do we orient our hearts to be grateful and thankful for the things God has given us. We all struggle with this in one way or another. And here's the thing. One of the things that we don't practice very well uh, in, the, in the church is that we, we get to the end of a message like this. And we think, okay, we know what we're supposed to do, and now the job is to just go out and do it. But we're all going to trip up on this. We're all going to mess up on this. It's not about being better and avoiding the oops on our own. That is self-sufficiency. And we're most likely to try to do this, to, that is to go out with the things that we learned in here tonight and try to do it in our own way. But that's self-sufficiency. And so what happens when we turn to our self-sufficiency for that is that when it doesn't work, we will turn back to the thing that we turned away from. That is the shiny wrappers because we can touch and feel them and they make us feel the way that we want our faith to make us feel and the way that God has promised that our faith can make us feel. Our path to contentment isn't just following a different trail on our own. Our path to contentment is about who we're following on the trail that we're on. <clears throat> So let's pray together, and then we'll continue our worship. God, we pray that you would be with us as we respond to you. And God, um, we come before you and ask that you would empower us as we go. We ask that you would remind us that uh, this idea of contentment is found in you and in you alone. 
And we see what this looks like in, in the heroes like Paul that give us such an incredible glimpse of what it looks like to be content beyond our circumstances. So we pray that you would uh, join us here and now as we respond to you and that you would go with us as we go. Amen.